Good singing, church. Thank you, praise team, for leading us this morning. Please turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I believe in the Black Pew Bibles, we're on page 965. 965, if you are looking at the Pew Bible. Over the past year or so, I've been to so many doctor's appointments, so many surgical centers, multiple different hospitals that I think people know me by my first name. In fact, when I go visit some of you on the fourth floor, it's kind of like a family reunion. Now, one of those family reunions, mind you, where you don't know everyone personally, you recognize them, you may not remember their name, but you have this recognition when you see each other. Like, oh yeah, I remember you. Like second, third cousin, that kind of a thing. Now, I could also tell you about every waiting room probably at these facilities in Amarillo, right? At all these different places I've been to. Some of these waiting rooms are very crowded and some are empty and some are really busy and some are quiet and some are run down and some are new and some are more vibrant. And you tell me the location and I can probably tell you what's going to be on the TV in that waiting room, okay? One of the places that I have been to many times uh, it seems that whenever I'm there, they always have the show The View on. Now, I don't like going to that place, all right? And by the way, going to the doctor is bad enough, and then they have The View on. Well, other waiting rooms just have one channel, it seems, HGTV. And when you go to, cancer, or to the Harrington Cancer Center, it's always on every TV. You're going to watch something on HGTV. And for me, since I'm probably the least handy person that I know, it's actually kind of interesting. It, we can, it can take a long time at these, at these locations, right, to get in to see the doctors. So you can almost watch a whole episode, right? So you see the whole transformation from start to finish, and it's pretty fascinating to see they, what they take, what looks like a dump when it begins, and then it, it is transformed, and it looks really incredible, really, really incredible. As we continue in chapter three today, Paul is gonna be contrasting the old covenant with the new covenant. And what becomes clear is that the glory of the new covenant far surpasses the glory of the old covenant. The old covenant was, was passing away, it's temporal, but the new covenant is permanent. And in the new covenant, by God's power, by the transforming work of the spirit, those who are morally bankrupt are becoming more like Jesus, more like the Savior. So we're going to be looking at the new covenant glory today. If you will, please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 7, reading through the end of the chapter. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since... We have such a hope, we are very bold, 
Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Will you pray with me? Lord, even as we have looked to your word, and even as we have sung your praises, and even as we have sought you in prayer this morning, we're asking now that your spirit would have freedom to move in our hearts, that you would open our eyes to see the glory of the new covenant, and what that means for us, the implications for us, that we, Lord, would be transformed, that we would be renewed day by day into the image, into the likeness of our Savior, of our Lord, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. Well, just before what I read there in verse six, the Apostle Paul says that the letter kills. The letter kills. Now, that letter that Paul refers to is a reference to the Old Covenant, specifically to the Ten Commandments, but here the Ten Commandments are gonna refer to the entirety of the Old Testament law. And last week, we saw that Paul was confident because he knew that the Holy Spirit was at work in him and through him in such a way to bring transformation to those who are trusting in Jesus. So then, when we get to verse 7, and Paul refers now to the ministry of death, some of the shock has worn off because we've already read verse 6 where Paul says the letter kills. Remember now, he's contrasting the old covenant with the new covenant. Now, that said, as shocking as it is that Paul would say this ministry of death or this this letter kills, for the Jews, this would have caused them to become undone because their whole life depended on the law which they said brought life. They would say that the law is what brings life. Now, in a sense, the law is what brings life because the law reflects the God who gives life. However, as we saw last week and as we'll see even more this week, the law cannot bring life. That was never its purpose. The law was to show us our great need for a savior, the one who could give us life. Paul is, is contrasting two different aspects of ministry. Moses's ministry associated with the old covenant and his own ministry associated with the new covenant, associated with the spirit of God. So first this morning, I want us to reflect on the glory of the new covenant. I want us to reflect on the glory of the new covenant. So to help us with this, Paul is going to utilize three lesser to greater arguments to show us the value of the new covenant covenant. In verses 7 and 8, Paul references God's covenanting with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, giving them 
the law, making his covenant with them known. So there's a few things to recall. We're gonna take a little bit of a, of a tour through this section of the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 19, you'll recall that God is warning the people, don't come near the mountain. Moses, don't let the people come near the mountain because I'm on the mountain and this is a holy place and if they are to come to the mountain and touch the mountain or get close to the mountain, then they would die. To be in the presence of God's glory, to be in the presence of God's holiness, to approach his presence is a dangerous thing. And then in Exodus chapter 20, God is speaking the Ten Commandments to Moses. He, he shelters Moses. He invites Moses. Moses goes up on the mountain. And you remember the, the glory that, that, that accompanied this. There was lightning and thunder and smoke on the mountain. And God is speaking the covenant, speaking the Ten Commandments to Moses. And the people below, they were afraid. They were like, no, let Moses, you go talk to him. You, you go meet with him. We're going to stand back. We're going to stay back. They understood the weightiness of what was taking place there. In Exodus in chapter 24, Moses tells the people what the Lord God had said. So he comes back down from the mountain. He gives them the terms of the covenant. And you recall what the people of Israel said all together with one voice, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. In other words, they're saying, this great and glorious God has spoken and we are gonna obey him. We are going to listen to him. Now, at the end of that chapter, Moses is back up on the mountain. We're told he's there for 40 days, right? During which God is giving to Moses instructions on tabernacle, instructions on how his people are supposed to worship him. Skip ahead to Exodus chapter 32, and we read that the Israelites have already broken covenant. While Moses was up on the mountain meeting with the Lord, the people of Israel uh, came to Aaron and said, hey, fashion a God for us so, so that we can worship, so that we can, we can, we can you know, make this image and we could, we could worship this God. It's supposed to represent the one true living God, but even still, they were making an idol. They were breaking covenant. Friends, the law, as we see in the old covenant, makes the people guilty. The law is making the people guilty, deserving of death because of their rebellion. And God, in response to their rebellion, is ready to smite them, and he would have saved Moses intercedes on their behalf, and God is now gracious. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses pleads with God to show him his glory. And God says, you can't see my glory, but I'm gonna hide you in a cleft of the rock, and I'm gonna let my glory pass by, and Moses is gonna see the tail end. He's gonna experience the fullness of God even in that moment. And then in Exodus 34, God graciously renews the covenant with the undeserving Israelites, and new tablets are made, and these commandments are given, and God is going to be with his people. Now, I want you to listen to Exodus in chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. Exodus 34, 29 through 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. 
Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near to him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. When Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he had commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put a veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Friends, as Moses meets face to face with God, there is some sort of transformation happening on the outside of Moses. His face is glowing, representing the glory of the one true living God. And what Paul refers to here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is this very thing. Moses would put a veil over his face, but why the veil? Commentator David Garland suggests that the veil was to keep the people from beholding God's glory because such of you could be hazardous. The veil then was a form of protection against God's judgment. And the old covenant was a ministry of death because the law incites sinful and rebellious hearts to sin. And we know from scripture that the wages of sin is death. But if there was glory associated with the old covenant, and there was, how much more, this is what Paul's saying, how much more with the ministry of the Spirit? Now, we might expect to read the word, the ministry of life, right, contrasting the ministry of death, than we would the ministry of the Spirit. But for Paul, they go hand in hand. Why? Because it is the Spirit who gives life. In the new covenant then, the spirit of God gives life through the new birth, through spiritual birth. This is what Ezekiel prophesied about, Ezekiel chapter 36, when he said that he was going to sprinkle them with water and he was going to give them his spirit and he was going to take their old dead hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh. Right, this is a picture of the new covenant. So the, the new covenant gives life because the spirit of God is transforming us and it begins here with spiritual birth, with regeneration. Moses' ministry was an external ministry. It was an external ministry that did not give life but ultimately gave judgment and death. But even today, many will look to the old covenant Many will look to the list of commandments and they'll say, oh, I do really well with these. I do a, I do a really good job listening to, to most of these commandments at least. I mean, I don't do any of the big ones. I mean, the smaller ones, yeah, but we all do the smaller ones. We all, we all lie at times. We all, we all, you know, covet at times. We, you know, those ones, okay, but the big ones, I'm okay. Everything's gonna be okay. Many churchgoers today want to reduce Christianity to a list of rules, but friends, don't fall into that trap. Hear this. True Christianity is about loving Jesus and about loving the things that Jesus loves. That's what Christianity is. It's about faith in the one who is the Savior, who is the Lord, and loving him and following him and loving the things that he loves. Loves. It's 
not about trying to live up to a certain standard, though we want to live holy lives, okay? That, that, but, but Christianity at its base is about a relationship with the one true and living God, and by the power of the Spirit then, we are enabled to follow in his ways. We're enabled to live in obedience to what he calls us to. Well, then in verse 9, the contrast is between the ministry of condemnation and the ministry of righteousness. Now, under the old covenant, there were clear consequences for disobedience. If we were to read in Deuteronomy in chapter 27, Moses is very clear about the consequences for breaking covenant with God, for disobedience to the will of God, to the law of God. In the New Testament, James tells us that if we break the law in one area, then friends, we're guilty of the whole law. So one area, we break the law one time and we're guilty of the whole thing and we stand condemned before God. Now, friends, let me just be clear. If any one of us could obey the law perfectly, then we'd be fine. If anyone in this room could obey the law perfectly all the time, then we'd be fine. And we wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't need God's grace because we could earn our own salvation. But the problem is, none of us obey the law perfectly. None of us obey the law perfectly any given day of our lives. There's one person who loved the Lord God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength and loved neighbor as self, and it's not you. It's Jesus. And he did that every day of his life on this earth. And that's why he was, that's why he was qualified to serve as our sacrifice on the cross. But you and me, we, we fail. We fail in multiple ways every single day. The old covenant is a ministry of condemnation, but the new covenant is a ministry of righteousness both positional righteousness and practical righteousness. I want you to think about Philippians chapter three. The Apostle Paul is uh, warning the church to beware of certain people who are gonna twist the law, who are gonna, gonna make it seem like this is what's most important. And then he compares himself to them and he says, look, I could put out my earthly resume and I would say I'm doing much better than them. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the right person I'm the right tribe, I'm the, I'm the right position, I'm a Pharisee, I'm a law abider. As to the law, he would say, I'm blameless. And all these things that he could put confidence in according to his flesh, he says, you know what? In light of knowing Jesus, I count them all as rubbish because they can't attain me anything. They don't make my way with God right. They don't make me one with God. They don't bring life. He says, no, rather than, rather than all those things, I want the righteousness that comes through faith, that comes through faith in the one who did obey the law perfectly, but the one who died on the cross for sinners and the one who rose again from the grave. Now, we need to understand when Paul says that he obeyed the law, or when he says that as to the law he was blameless, he doesn't mean that he was sinless. He doesn't mean that he never broke the law. What he means is that he, when he did break the law, he always did the prescribed things in the old covenant to make himself right with God. But the author of Hebrews makes it very clear that those things didn't take away our sin. All they did was cover the sin. But it was a picture of of moving to the one who would take away our sin, the perfect lamb of God who died for 
us for sinners. And this is where Paul's hope is. This is the ministry of the new covenant. The new covenant is a ministry of righteousness. When we put our hope and our trust in Christ, we are then given, imputed to us, is the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of the Savior, of Jesus Christ. And then we grow in righteousness because the Spirit of God living in us teaches us to put sin to death. So we die to sin and we live to righteousness. So there is a positional righteousness based on the finished work of Christ and based on his righteousness. And then there is a practical righteousness that we are growing in. Then in verses 10 and 11, the contrast has to do with the temporal nature of the old covenant and the permanent nature of the new covenant. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. So Moses' glowing face then is a picture of the fading glory of the old covenant. Right? So Moses, when he meet with God, he would have this glowing face, a picture of this outward transformation, out, outward, it's not really transformation, this outward picture that, that stays outward, but it fades as time goes on. And the old covenant fades when it's replaced by what is the new covenant. Now again, according to Romans chapter seven, the law, the old covenant is holy, righteous, and good. Yet in God's wisdom, it was never meant to be permanent. It was a pointer to the glorious new covenant as Jesus perfectly fulfilled the old covenant in every way and is now the mediator of the new covenant for God's people. Paul writes in Galatians chapter three that the law is a guardian but it comes to an end, its, its, its function comes to an end in that sense when Jesus comes. Friends, God no longer forms his people under the Torah. He no longer forms his people under the old covenant. Now he forms his people by his spirit in Jesus through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So in comparison then, the glory of the new covenant surpasses the glory of the old covenant at every level. If the old covenant, if you, if you had a, you have no reason to have a book of matches with you, okay? But if you had a book of matches with you and you lit a match and held it up like this, that's the old covenant. And then if you were to see a forest fire raging and we know what fires are like around here, don't we? That's the picture of the new covenant. It's, it's blazing. It's blazing with glory compared to the one match. It's blazing with glory. And the hope of the new covenant doesn't end. It lasts forever. So we reflect on the glory of the new covenant, but we also rejoice in the promises of the new covenant. We rejoice in the promises of the new covenant. In verse 12, based on his hope in God's grace and the presence of God's spirit, Paul boldly engages in new covenant ministry. He boldly engages in his ministry. Now remember, this is really important for him to say because he's having all of these accusations leveled against him, but Paul says, no, we boldly engage. We're boldly ministering in the name of Jesus. We're proclaiming Christ. We're proclaiming the hope of the gospel because he knows that through its message, the message of the cross, sinners are made right with God. 
And again, he contrasts his ministry with that of Moses. Now, it may sound like Paul is kind of hating on Moses here, right? Like, who is this guy Moses? But I don't think that's what he's doing. Remember, he's, he's contrasting two different approaches to ministry. Because of sin, minds are hardened and cannot embrace spiritual truth. That's what he's talking about when he says there's this veil. This veil that keeps them from understanding or seeing the truth or seeing the, the, the glory of Christ. We're gonna get to that again next week. This is significant because if we are blinded to see the truth of God, then we cannot know God. Not in a personal, saving way. So then we see the promise of freedom in the new covenant. Freedom from the veil that would blind our eyes and blind our hearts from seeing Jesus. Freedom to know God. See, the problem, as Paul lists here, is that when the Jews, when they were so focused on the Torah, they were so focused on the law that they missed seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. They missed seeing how everything in the Old Testament was testifying to this one who would come and fulfill the old covenant. And if you miss Jesus, then you miss everything. You miss everything. I love the story in Luke 24 of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Right? The resurrection has happened and these two disciples are walking down, the, down this road to this place called Emmaus and they're just having conversation and Jesus kind of comes up alongside and, and they don't recognize as Jesus, right? They're spiritually blinded to know who it is in that moment. And they're like, hey, what's going on? Hey, haven't you heard? And who are you? Haven't, where have you been? Haven't you heard? We thought this was the Messiah. We thought he was the one who was gonna come save us, but he's dead. And Jesus began to speak to them about how the Old Testament pointed to him, pointed to the one who came, They get to where they are and and Jesus leaves and then their hearts are open and they understood. One of the guys says, weren't our hearts just burning within as Jesus was, as this man was speaking? And they recognized this is who it was. And they see how the old covenant, how everything in the Old Testament is now pointing to Jesus Christ. But friends, it's not just the Jews who are blinded to spiritual things. All those who are dead in their trespasses and sins lack the capacity to understand and embrace true spiritual things. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. He's contrasting those who are in Christ and those who have the Spirit with those who don't, who he labels as the natural person. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But friends, what Paul is saying in this passage is that when our hearts are turned towards Jesus, then we begin to understand and embrace scripture as God intended it to be. The freedom we have right now under the new covenant is freedom from sin's condemnation. It's freedom to know God. 
It's freedom to live in righteousness, not as slaves to sin as we were previously before Jesus set us free, but freedom to live as slaves to righteousness. Now, it's not freedom to do whatever we want. The freedom that comes from the spirit is not a freedom from sin without consequence. Look, sin always will have some consequence. But unlike the Israelites in Moses' day, we have freedom to behold God's glory. Stay away from the mountain. Don't come close. It's dangerous. You're going to die if you come close. If you touch the mountain, you're going to die. Cover the ark of God. Don't peer long at the ark of God. Don't go near the holy of holies. You can't go in that area. But in Jesus, it's been opened up. In Jesus, we've been invited to the presence of God. In Jesus, we've been, we've been invited to relationship with the one true and living God. Jesus has come near. The one who is the exact representation of God. The one who is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. And because of God's grace, we are invited to behold the glory of God in Jesus Christ. God has showed himself to us in Jesus. We can look to Jesus. We don't have to turn our eyes from our God. He invites us to himself. In fact, the second promise of the new covenant from this passage is that as we behold Jesus, by the power of the spirit, we are transformed into the image of Jesus. We were morally bankrupt, right? We were that dump of a place at the beginning of the show, but God is transforming us into a new creation, into his creation, into the image of Christ. He's at work. That's what God is doing in the new covenant. He's making us more like Jesus. He is perfecting us. Now, this beholding of Jesus that transform us from one degree of glory to another isn't just a casual glance. It's not just a fleeting look. I want you to think about the last wedding you were at. So you'll recall there's a lot of escorting that takes place. Uh, Grandparents are escorted down the aisle. You know, significant people to the family are escorted down the aisle. The mother of the bride's escorted down the aisle. Ultimately, the bride will be escorted down the aisle. Let me just tell you, the groom may look at grandma, may even look at his mom, may look at his future mother-in-law, but do you think his gaze is gonna stop there? No. He's transfixed on one person who's gonna come down that aisle. And it's not the father of the bride. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That's where he's looking. That's where he's looking. And that's kind of a picture of what this is to behold Jesus, to look at, to fix our eyes upon Jesus, to meditate on him, to be enthralled with who he is and with what he has done. And as we focus our attention on him, we grow in him. Our lives begin to reflect his glory. So here's the question. Do you see evidence of transformation in your life? Do you see evidence of growth and transformation in your life? If that's what God 
God's purpose is in your life to make you more like Christ, if you are a follower of Christ, then we should, ex- we should be considering our progress. We should be thinking and evaluating, am I moving in the right direction? Am I more loving? Am I more ready to forgive? Am I more ready to repent? Have my priorities changed? Am I more generous? Do I love God's people, the church? Am I actively hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Am I characterized more and more by the fruit of the Spirit? Do I want to grow in Christ? Am I doing the things that are necessary to grow in Christ? Am I spending time with him? Am I practicing the spiritual disciplines? Am I looking to him? And friends, let me just be clear. What what matters most is not where you are on that path to Christ-likeness. Everyone starts out in a different situation, right? We're saved and we all start out there, but we all have different backgrounds and pasts. And some of us may, may start what we would call like steps way back because we had no Christian upbringing or we had no church history. And so then when we come to Christ, maybe we're a little bit ahead or maybe we had great parents who loved us and cared for us and, and served us and modeled what it was like to live for Jesus. But maybe you didn't have that. Maybe you didn't have that in your life. So you're gonna be further back even when you start in that sense. What matters isn't so much where you are on the path, but that you are on the path. And that your life is moving in a trajectory, trajectory towards Christ's likeness. Where are you today? Where are you today? Are you looking more like Jesus? Are you loving more like Jesus? Are you living more like Jesus? It's a question we should ask ourselves. Take time to consider your life. And I'll say this. None of us will arrive fully while we live on this earth. And second, if you have no affection for Jesus and no desire to grow in Jesus, then don't deceive yourself. The new covenant is about a faith relationship with Jesus. It's about loving him and loving the things that he loves. And if that's not in your life, then don't deceive yourself. You need Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord, we, we need you. We long for you. We want you. And you have made yourself available to us. There is hope in you. There is life in you. There is joy in you. So help us to embrace that, to embrace you. God, you are good and you are worthy. Even now, Lord, work in our hearts. Make us more like Jesus. As we close this morning, I want us to take a few moments to rejoice in the promises of the new covenant. How can we not, out of gratitude and love, 
worship our great God and Savior. So we're gonna have a time of quiet reflection. Would you just take a moment to consider your life in terms of transformation? Would you take a moment to just thank God for what he has done in your life and how he is at work in your life? Or maybe you need to determine what changes need to happen in your life in order for you to start seeing transformation in your life. Take a few moments.